0: Hey guys, Ballistic Strength Radio is the only podcast dedicated to kettlebell sport and is 100% commercial free and is brought to you completely free of charge. So if you appreciate the show, please show your appreciation by subscribing to the Ballistic Strength Radio podcast on iTunes, as well as leaving a positive comment and a five-star rating. Guys, five-star ratings not only boost the show's iTunes ranking, but they also boost its exposure, which means it boosts the exposure and popularity of kettlebell sport. Please pause the episode now and head on over to iTunes to leave some positive feedback. Thanks, guys. So, this is the 12th episode of BSN Radio. Today, I'm, I am joined by Mike Sherman. Mike has been lifting kettlebells for what, about a decade, Mike?
1: Uh, pretty close to it, yeah. Uh, 2006, I started beginning.
0: Since ancient times. Uh, he's competed in almost 70 competitions.
1: Yeah, my next one will be my 70th. Competed in, yeah, 70th.
0: Incredible. And you're what, one birthday shy of 60?
1: Yeah, my next birthday will be 60.
0: Excellent. So, and I'm sure that, uh, Mike has lots of useful and interesting information to share. So Mike, um, if you could be so kind as to tell our listeners a little bit about where you're from and, uh, and what you kind of do as your vocation, you know, I guess, aside from kettlebells and, and what got you into kettlebells exactly?
1: Well, I live in, I live in Ohio, Toledo, which is right on the border of Michigan. And, uh, I teach martial arts. I started karate in nineteen seventy and um been teaching well I started teaching in seventy-three and been teaching full time uh till now. And so that's what uh forty two years. And um I've always lifted weights and ran and things like that. And then uh, uh one of my students' father was a US Marshal. And then they did kettlebells as part of their training, and he kept after me about doing kettlebells back in 2006. But they were doing more of the uh, what they call the RKC style, which is the the black ones you see with the the um, looped over handles. And um, actually, just I and I've told him this. I said just to shut him up. I said, okay, I'll I'll do kettlebells. I just you know because he kept asking me to do them, and I would wasn't that interested. I didn't really know what they were. So he brought over these kettlebells and he had me do the two-handed swing between your legs. And, um, you know, I thought I was pretty tough, you know, black belt and karate and I run, did triathlons and stuff. And he had me do a one-minute two-handed swing swings with an eight, the rubber-coated eight. And my back just tied up on me. It really made me angry because I couldn't, uh, I just thought I was better than that. And And one of my students did it. My student was better than I was, my karate student. And then he yeah, has doing other other things, more of the um, more of what they call the uh, RKC type training, Turkish get-ups, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. And uh, I was more fascinated by it than anything else. And I was really sore the next day. And uh, of course, back then, uh, YouTube and uh, Facebook, that kind of stuff was really in 2006. Things were just getting started. So I went on YouTube. And you couldn't find very much um, as far as kettlebell um, videos. This is true. Like a little, little bit you could. But I kept coming across these old grainy ones with these Russian guys with these colored ones. And it, it really fascinated me. So a couple of weeks later, I asked the guy that was training me and I said, uh, or showing us the stuff. He was kind of training us, I guess you'd say. And I said, what's that? And he goes, well, those are, he, it's funny because those are Gero Vicks. Gero Vicks. And I go, what's that? He goes, well, those guys, those are Russian guys. It's a sport, and, and that's different. Um, Iron, ironic would be the term. But my my wife is Russian, and my and my wife. People say, oh, so your wife got you in kettlebells? No, oh, I actually, I was married to hers for six years before before or five years before I even know kettlebells were. The funny thing is, so I go back, I go home, and I and I tell my wife, oh, I just did this new thing. It's like this ball it was called a kettlebell and she held her hand she said, and, and, and I'm not making this up. She said, Oh my God, you're going to be a crazy Gidavik.
0: <laughs> it
1: was. And she knew that I'd get addicted to it. And, uh, and that's kind of how it took off. And then I took and, uh, you know, did, did the RKC stuff. I ordered a bunch of them and then, uh, kettlebell Bob, he'd come over and he'd show us stuff. And, you know, I was doing different things and I, You know, it was more by Pavel that, you know, I think we all started out with Pavel originally and was doing that stuff. And so then Ken Blackburn up in Fenton, Michigan, he took and had a seminar. And one of the people, one of the the ladies that was training with me said, hey, there's this guy, Ken Blackburn, is is up in uh, Fenton, Michigan, which is only about an hour from us. He's going to have Steve Cotter there, of course, at the time Steve Cotter was like a you know he was sort of like a rock star in kettlebell world yeah, and he,
0: yeah, still very much so, and yeah everyone who who's ever heard of a kettlebell has heard of Steve Cotter,
1: yeah right so so they had the seminar up there, so we we went to the seminar and uh it was like a month later, and we signed up for it, and I was going to sign up for the r k c um to be uh certified well see, Steve had just left the r k c and he didn't have any you know he was very gracious to anything bad to say. But I uh, and I said I was going to do that, and I and I was explaining to him that I was very interested in doing um, like sort of the sport, but I didn't, no one no one really knew what, anything about that. He says, "Well, what you need to do then, you need to meet this guy Valery Fedorenko, and he's in Ohio." Well, that was great because Valery only lives two hour, two and a half hours from us. He lives down by Dayton, and uh, we were getting ready to sign up for the RKC, and he said, "Contact him and find out, you know, what that's all about." So then we did a seminar with Ken Blackburn and 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 Steve Cotter and all that. And we came back and we got a hold of, um, the, uh, I think at the time they called it the American kettleball club. And, uh, I guess they were having their certification. I think the third one they were going to have was in Cincinnati. And that was like two months later and we paid for that one down. And back then all that they had were the, uh, 12s, 16s, 24s, and 32s. They didn't have all the in-between sizes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, if you took the certification, you got a set. You got 212s, two 216s, two 224s, two 232s. So they gave them to you. And the set of kettlebells cost $1,000 or $900, and the certification was $1,000. So thought, well, that's a good deal. You get to, get to take kettlebells with you. In fact, at the time, I told Eric Lifford, who is uh, Valerie's partner, I said, Are you guys sure you're making enough money doing this? He said, oh, no, we're doing good and everything. Because I thought it was kind of crazy. You go to the seminar, and you get the kid to take kettlebells with you. So we took two sets home.
0: That's probably a, li- a very little known fact
1: yeah yeah and then uh that was the third seminar that they ever held and uh then i just pretty much at that point took off into the sport part of it and just went from there
0: and, and i i have a lot of respect for um you know the rkc and strong first and all the work that they do um what do you think it was that kind of pulled you away from the rkc though and drew you into sport
1: um i like competition and i thought that it was more um I don't know. I could I, I could just tell by looking at it that it just seemed more structured and it seemed more legit um, to me. It was weird. I don't know. I just uh, I no one said that to me. I just and and it just seemed cool to me to, what, to do the sport.
0: What about the tradition aspect of it? Because I mean, you come from a martial arts background, and it's very much rooted in tradition. Do you think that had some part to play?
1: Um, maybe a little bit. And also, I wanted to, I wanted to. Um, to me, I wanted to do something that, that uh, you know, our, the RKC. I, I didn't want to just train. I wanted to do something yeah. that like you could score and and, and do a competition with. Yes. In fact, the first the first uh, kettlebell contest we did, uh, uh, we only had a few of the uh, what they call the fédéral ankle bells. So a lot of the people you could choose between the RKC bells, or the the couple fédéral ankle bells they had, which you know they only had a few of them. So we did our first competitions with the uh, RKC style bells.
0: Wow, that's, uh, and that's, yeah, I mean, it's not like that these days, that's for sure. And um, so how much uh, experience did you have? I mean, did you work directly with Valeri or, actually, this is a question that I wanted to ask you specifically was that, I mean, I found that many Girvoy athletes, uh, I guess, maybe retrospectively recommend seeking a qualified coach as early as possible. Um, Now, you've had, I've read, over 500 videos of your technique evaluated by Was it Igor Morozov? Yes. Um, Tell us about your journey experiences learning on your own, but also seeking coaching and kind of how the two mix.
1: Well, um, at the time, we belonged to a a, a gym that had kettlebells. So um, our coaches at the time were uh, Todd Baden, and uh, he was um, an overall type um, plyometrics trainer and a trainer of football coaches and he did he was rkc um certified instructor and the other guy was kettlebell bob and he um also trained us and uh, he was the original one and uh is that
0: that how they write all his diplomas and certifications kettlebell bob
1: yeah 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 that's what they call him kettlebell bob and he taught us the stuff and he had us doing all kinds of you know he he kind of was he understood the sport, but it wasn't long. I was actually more into the sport more than he was. Mm. And, uh, anyways, he kind of trained us for quite a while, but, but then, um, I really, I really wanted to get a little more involved into the sport aspect of it more so. So I took and, uh, I, I sought out Catherine. I was my original first coach that actually programmed for me and sent me stuff. And she was my coach for about a year and a half and she had very good programming. And, um, she really knows her stuff and 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 she she knew she knew me real well. I mean, she knew if like um, and I didn't send her any videos. It was all just on, you know, emailing back and forth. She'd send me a program and I'd tell her how it felt. But she could tell how, you know, how I was doing and stuff. So she was a really good coach. And then I went about a year trying to think why I stopped having Kate as my coach. There was nothing negative. It's just I I can't remember why, honestly. I just I think just stopped having to coach me after about a uh, year and a half, two years. And then I went about a year without, well, then you I got were, some, maybe
0: e- you were having less, less issues, less problems. You were getting better. And so the emails started to thin out a little bit.
1: And that, that might've been a little bit of with it too. Cause I was paying her and stuff. It wasn't a money thing, but I, but it, uh, well, you know what it was? I, I do know now. Cause my partner that was doing kettlebells with me, she got injured. That actually, that was what it was. She got injured. So she stopped, um, contact, you know, talking to Kate and you know, when she kind of stopped with Kate then I kind of did too it was kind of weird that's kind of what happened but um from there then uh I was getting emails from Igor Morozov Mor- and which I thought was kind of weird and he just was I think he was just kind of scanning the American scene and seeing who was out there doing stuff and trying to see you know who he could get as a student you know trying to you know coach and you know make money and that kind of thing mm-hmm. and I was kind of Flatter a little bit that he kept emailing me two, or three times saying that you know he could make me a master sport, he could make me a master sport, and then um, ironically they had the uh, kettlebell meet up in up in Detroit about a month later, about yeah, within a month or two later, and he was there. He was there with uh, Victor, and uh, he met me, came over, walked up to me like like he knew me like yesterday, and just started talking to me. And his English is really really good. And he said, no no you really have to you know he kind of really stayed on me like and I'm I'm thinking to myself this guy wants to really coach me. So, you know, I sort of gave in. And so like when I got back home, I emailed him my, all my information and he sends you a, he sends you a, like a, well, about a three page thing. You have to fill out what kettlebells you own, what you've done, what you've won, you know, like a, like a whole info packet. And then that, I've been with him ever since. And that's been probably three years now.
0: Wow. Three years and 500 videos.
1: Yeah. 500, yeah. 500. And well, I, I sent two today, 502.
0: That's incredible. Yeah. Um, So early on, I mean, like, year. so what year would that have been? I mean, if we could say that you've been lifting for, what, nine, ten years? I mean, what what was it? Year one, two, three, where you first started working with Igor?
1: So let me see here. This is 15. So it was 2013, beginning of 2013, end of 2012, 2013. Yeah, because it was November. It was November 2012, and then... I started with them, uh, right after that, probably right after the first of the year, 2013. So it's been, uh, not, not even quite two years, two years, may have been two years. Okay. Yeah.
0: So, yeah. I mean, what's your progress been like up until that point? And, uh, and what, if any, you know, what sort of progress have you made, uh, post Morozov? You know, what sort well, of revelations yeah. maybe have you had?
1: Well, uh, you know, it's funny. Revelations is probably really the true word, Uh um, I was lifting the 28s. I was competing with the 28 kilogram bells. And then I did six meets with the 32s. And the day he saw me, I was competing with the 32s. And then he told me that I wasn't good enough for that. And uh, I had a number of the number of the, uh, major, uh, kettlebell Russian champions say that, uh, I'm, I'm really too old to be lifting the 32s anyways. Um, but I did six meets with that. And, uh, best I ever did was 34 jerks with the 32s but I've done 110 112 snatches with it. I snatch, I'm pretty good at snatches. I can do the snatch with the 32s. So anyways, um he said send me a couple of videos and I sent him. I sent him a, a video of me lifting the 28s and 32s and there was about a 2 week gap before he got back with me. And my first training made me kind of laugh. My first training was with the 16s and the 20s. And I thought, "Well, yeah, I and up at that point I had stopped touching the 16s and 20s for a year. I mean, I never even warmed up with them. I mean, I never, and I, he had me all the way back down and he said, he just said oh, a whole bunch of stuff I was doing wrong. But, uh, but, um, anyways, uh, in the beginning I took and uh, trained with Kate and she had me doing more of the, uh, Fedoranko type style, what they call money sets doing longer sets. Hmm. And, uh, Longer, slower sets with Igor, you go lighter and you go shorter sets, but you go fast. Everything is, I mean, jerk snatch, everything is, you know, 15 reps a minute. Everything is fast. I mean, you really get your conditioning down. It really was, it was a different type of training when I trained in Russia, because we went in Russia in 2009, I trained with, uh, and, uh, 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 and drop, uh, um, shoot, not a drop off and drop off. And, uh, and, uh, uh, Nikolai, the coach at the time. And they said that, um, Americans are too tense. He said, Americans are very, very stiff and tense. Whenever they see Americans lift.
0: I can believe and, that.
1: <laughs> they ever, you watch Russians lift. They're very kind of like relaxed in their position.
0: Yeah. So
1: first they said they they couldn't speak it in English. And my wife had to translate everything, but they said I was very, very stiff. and I needed to learn to relax. And, uh, I learned a lot from those guys. Uh, at the time I didn't even know who Krilov was. This little guy walks in the room and, and, uh, I, and I thought this guy knows the stuff pretty good. I mean, he's a pretty good lifter. Come to find out he's a Russian coach. So I had private lessons with three top Russian guys for free for like four different days. Just, just cause my wife got me through talking and speaking Russian. And then I got to train were
0: at the uh, sport complex there in St. Petersburg. That's a pretty good deal. What's the and what's the uh what was it like training at the um is this is this like home base for the Russians or what?
1: Well, it was at the time. Now they got the new Euro Fitness Club, but that was before that. This is way back in well, two, you know, it's funny we say way back in 2009, but really that wasn't that long ago. But uh this is where um the it was the Russian Army Sport Complex. Actually, I had to have special permission to get in there. I'm the only Americans ever lifted there, lifted there. No Americans ever lifted there except me. Because it was part of the Red Army. Or, or at least no Americans got out. Right, right. Well, they said at that point I was the only American that ever that ever lifted there that they knew of. And I think only because my wife spoke Russian and she knew how to talk to them and and really – because when she called there, she said, I want to do some uh, getaway sport. So she had a connection. So this one guy said – this was back in the States. And this one guy said, oh, um, well, we'll get, we'll get a hold of this guy. So she talked to this guy named Sergei Krylov. I don't know who he was. I mean, she didn't know who he was at the time. I didn't. Him to come out, that was the Russian team coach. So I said, okay, he'll meet me there. So he met me there. wasn't until later I found out he was a Russian team coach. He was coaching me. And I was just this rookie guy.
0: Yeah. but But, Do you you think if you were just, you know, some other Joe Blow who was just kind of into kettlebells for fun that you would have had that opportunity? Or did they see that kind of drive and dedication?
1: Well, no. What it was, they said to my wife, they go, how old is your boy? She said, "Boy," <laughs> she said. She said, "53," and there was a long silence. They go. <laughs> the next question was. Then they said to her, "Why?" They said to her, "Why is he doing this?" They want to know why he because at fifty, why would you be starting this at fifty? I started at fifty, but fifty three, mm-hmm. and uh, they thought it was her son, and they just thought they didn't think it was a waste of my time, but they just thought, "Why am I starting this at this age?" They were all retired and stuff by then. Yeah. So it was, it was just weird. It was funny. But they took me serious, and they they uh, you know they they spent time with me. I learned a lot. Um, but yes. anyways, at the time I was lifting thirty twos, and they said they said no no no, you're just you're not nowhere near good enough to be lifting thirty twos.
0: Did it, now? Was it just as as plain as, as uh, good enough, or were, were they you know you're not fast enough, you're not explosive enough, you're not as you're not you don't have the kind of operational rest that we want to see your nose relaxed, or or what was it?
1: I think all of that I think
0: above yeah
1: yeah they could see that I didn't have the technique down I needed to develop technique much better and that's the thing I see with uh North American lifters um I've done this like I say nine years now and uh competed a lot more more than anybody I think and uh you know we'll see back then uh back then of course like I said we had 24s went right to the 32s because we didn't have the in-between bells so if you got your I got my CMS with the 24s so what's the next thing I did the very next day, I'm starting to lift the 32s, and it doesn't work like that. It takes many, many years. I see that now. And uh, and what it was, I was jumping ahead way too fast. And I see that even yet with a lot of young guys. They do a really good 24s. And you know it's funny? A lot of the stuff that Valeri said to us way back in the beginning really rings true. He said, you really need to do about 100 jerks with the 24s and 200 snatches before you move up. And there's a lot of guys that still can't do that, and they're moving up.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: you take all your top Russians, they can all – they can, that's nothing for them to do that amount.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, that seems to be the common theme. Uh, that must be where I picked it up too, where I was like, you know, 200 snatches, then move on. And I've always kind of liked that as, as a general guideline, I've definitely, you know, (laughs) jumped the gun (laughs) admittedly in some cases. Uh, but, um, but even when you go back to the, to the lighter bells, you know, you can still make progress with the heavier bells as long as you're, staying on your technique and and not uh kind of fooling yourself right right Uh, yeah so um now maybe we can get a little uh well now mike are you uh so are you like a certified judge as well or how does that work i mean you've judged competitions right
1: a lot a lot i've I've judged uh, uh uh ivan denisov i've judged him i've judged in fact about a month ago i judged ksenia um in fact that uh it's funny because she the, the new rules are you can't angle on the platform she starts out angled and i was getting ready to stop her set to have her moves changed and she switched hands and ch- change her position
0: what 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 uh organization has this rule is it
1: this... well they the ak i i
0: really you can't angle yourself on the platform
1: well, no, you have to see, no you can't be at a forty you can a little bit, you can't be a forty-five degree angle because it's a danger to the other the other
0: competitors. Yeah, I could see that for sure. Yeah. That makes sense. That's yeah, real. it's strange. I've never I've never really I guess that's what happens when you skim the rules and regulations. Yeah.
1: The um in uh yeah, I was a judge with the uh WKC, you know, Valerie's group. Mm-hmm. I was I was a certified judge with them. And then his group kind of got out of the competition area. Mm-hmm. And then I'm, uh, I went to the seminar, you know, a lot of the seminars with the AKA and I was, uh, went to the, I went to the IUKL seminar in Columbus this here, this last spring and, uh, got, um, did the seminar there and I've done, I've judged in two, uh, world class mm-hmm. events, uh, world, in, world, in North America national events, I guess you want to call it international events. And I've judged in many, many uh, local events, and so now um, come November in Ireland, I'm going to I'm supposed to do apprentice judging with IUKL at the worlds, and then get my international license.
0: Yeah, I want to ask if if you were able to judge now in like the international competitions.
1: Right, I'm I'm going to do the I'm going to do the uh, apprentice judging in uh, Ireland,
0: and so uh, considering all of your judging. Um, uh, experience and education up to this point. I mean, how much more in depth is it going to be when you go for that, that international apprenticeship and, and are you going to another seminar? Is that what you said?
1: Well, I think, I don't know if they're going to have a seminar, but I think I'm, I'm actually going to judge at the world's and they're going to have, they're going to have a, a certified judge next to me and watch me and then, uh, sort of take notes and help me out and tell me what I'm doing right or wrong or, or what, what have you. And then, uh, and then at that point, um, I'll get it or, or not get it. They'll say that this guy's terrible. <laughs> we're not yeah. going to like, not gonna certify this
0: guy. <laughs> Mike, is there an art to judging? Is there something that we don't know? Um, is it more than well, just a guy in a suit and a, and a clicker?
1: No, no, no. Well, that's the thing. Uh, originally in, Amer- in the United States, uh, North America, or whatever, it started out that we were all just rep counters. Right. You know, just rep counters. And it's, it's more than that. Um, I would say the number one thing is the judges – well, first of all, you, you really have to have people that are are are, are trained judges in the rules, not just uh, well. So and so is a good lifter. Let's get him out of the crowd and have him up here because a good lifter might not necessarily even know all the rules. They may be great. They might be master of sport, but they may not know all the rules necessarily the way that they're the way that they're they're set down, and also the way that they've changed. They change, you know, from year to year. Um, it used to be you couldn't brush the platform, you know, touch the platform at the bell. Now you can and not be disqualified so that you know but people don't know you know people would not necessarily know that um anyways um so i would say that the main thing if 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 i were to say to some judges like uh if they were to ask me one know the rules know the rules first of all the event holder the director whatever has to have rules there in writing for people to see you know what are the rules so they have to be able to see the rules then the judge's have to be up on the rules and know the rules, not guess at them. You know, you have to know the rules. Like I know, I know the AKA rule. In fact, I help, I help create some of the rules, so I know the rules. Um, I can almost quote you the the chapters and stuff, so I know what they are. So you got to know the rules. And then the other thing is, you can't be afraid to give a no count if someone does. And and in 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 like they recently they had this um, say the free arm movement type thing. Mm-hmm. You know, big controversy about that. And the way I was telling people um, what what it is, you can't have that free arm momentum of that free arm from the first, the, say rep number one, carry over into rep number two and help rep number two. So what it is your other arm has to stop. So you have to turn, you have to fixate the bell, of course, and the other arm has to has to stop. Now you're gonna have a little bit of natural movement. You're gonna have. I'll put my arm up. here. You're gonna have a little bit of natural movement, but you can't have that arm swinging like a momentous movement into the next rep. Like a, like a rhythmic movement carrying over into the next one. And, uh, that's really more, everybody thought that you had to freeze like a statue and you don't have to freeze.
0: Is that more so, of a snatch thing or a one arm long cycle thing or possibly both
1: snatch or one arm long, either one, anything, one arm. And then, uh, and, and then besides knowing the rules, you, you know, it's, it's like I say, you gotta be able to, you gotta be able to apply them and, and, and do that. Now I know at this last meet at the nationals, there was a judge that gave five no counts to someone on, on something that wasn't a rule infraction. And then the coach came over to me and said, I don't think that's a rule infraction. I had to go over and tell the judge. And the, and the guy was very, he goes, oh, it's not. And I go, no, it's not. And
0: Can you tell they, us what, what the well, they, non-infraction
1: they were up, was? The, the person was doing the jerks. And then when they were doing the jerks, you know, your heels come up. Mm-hmm. They were actually almost like jumping, like their toes were coming up too. Okay. And I said, the only way that would be a, a rule infraction is if, as a judge, you feel that that rep was hurting, going to injure the player, you know, the lifter, or injure another person. You know what I mean? If there's, you know, safety involved. But as far as actually, you, you can jump if you want, on your jerk. It's not as good. And the guy, oh, so we gave those five reps back to the, back to the lifter. Mm-hmm. So we, we reversed the ruling. But uh, that's the big thing. You know, and, and know, their, you know, know the rules and be fair. And the tough part with ruling with with being a judge is and I'm going to say this, not to, you know, just to keep rattling on here. But like with me, I'm really friends with everybody. And when, as a judge, you have to be um, they really don't want to judge talking to the people. They don't want judges schmoozing with everybody out there.
0: Right. You need to be That's impartial
1: because I'm everybody's friend and I schmooze with everybody. I'm out in the crowd. <laughs> and, and 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 the powers that be don't like that. So I'm at the worlds. I'm going to be on the USA team in a team uniform, but the first few days I'm going to be a judge in a suit. So that's weird. I'm going to be how many? How am I going to be with my team if I'm being a judge too?
0: Is that a conflict of interest for a judge to compete?
1: It's funny you should say that because at the seminar they said judges, uh, you really can't judge and compete in the same competition. And I said, well, well, um, you guys did. And the Russian, <laughs> they said, they said, uh, no, we didn't. And, and this had to be translated too through uh, Alex because they didn't speak English. And I go, well, they certainly did because Arkady was sitting there. I said, he judged at the Worlds in Germany and he competed on the last day. And they go, but the, you know what the difference was if you're a veteran. Veterans mm-hmm. don't count. So, so I'm a veteran, so I can judge and I can I can judge the, the amateurs and the pros but I can get the veterans. They don't count the veterans. We're, we're kind of pushed off to the back. So I compete on the last day as a veteran. That, that's but but and you know what? They didn't they didn't have they they were speechless. They did not know what to say because it was it was true. Arcadi ju- judged the first three days and competed on the last day. I said, How can you tell me you can't do that when he did it? I, I said, Why Yeah, they
0: weren't it? counting on anyone to uh, to spot no, that <laughs> apparently?
1: So I can do that. So I can judge the first couple of days and then as as a veteran, I can lift on the last day. Veterans points
0: don't count. Veterans <laughs> points don't count. They don't. No, they don't count. They don't count the team as, total. as far as the team total goes. Yeah. Well. Okay. So I guess that makes sense. But, um, but I mean, still, if you're judging though, someone right. else, their score counts to the team total.
1: It does. It does. And like they say, you know, there's there's different uh, rules. You know, like you would think, like, well if I judged women long cycle and I do men's biathlon, what difference does that make? But
0: yeah, I, I, yeah, that's I a good under,
1: point. You know, I understand there's conflict of interest, but at a small local meets, I mean, you try to have, you know, dedicated specific judges dressed properly in a proper, you know, a suit and tie, you know, women, you know, look, you know, judges, you know, nice dressed. So you tell the judges apart from just some person in the crowd, but when you get local meets, you, you know, you can't get judges like that. So you just, you get the best people you can, mm-hmm. but I think on region, not now the AKA has regional meets, regional regions. And then they have, uh, of course the nationals, of course, then you have the worlds and with regional meets, I think it's still going to be kind of, you know, you know, get, get uh, Billy out in the crowd. He's a good lifter. You know, right. you're still going to
0: that. do you think that's one of the bases that we have to cover um regarding, I mean, there's been uh recent chatter recently regarding uh you know the legitimacy of the sport in north america do you think that's one of those bases we need to cover and making sure that we have at least a decent percentage of trained and impartial judges at both regional and kind of your local meets
1: and and that's what that's what uh yuri and alex uh are trying to do and it's tough to do because it's expensive i've been to chicago you know i go all over at my own expense Mm -hmm. They said they have to pay judges if they want to do that. And, you know, who wants to just be a judge? I want to lift two. So this year, like in 2013, I did 11 meets, 2014, 14 meets. This year I've done two. But I've been, it's funny too, a funny story is I told my wife, because she's been getting on me about spending so much money going to meets. And I said, well, next year I'm only going to compete in about maybe three or four meets. So then, you know, about a month later, I I get all ready to go to uh, Pittsburgh, she goes, I thought you were only going to do three or four meets. I said, I'm only going to lift in three or four meets. I'm going to go to 10, but I'm going
0: to
1: <laughs> – I'm still going to 10 of them to judge and stuff, and that pissed her off. That made her mad. But uh, she goes, well, you're still spending the money. But, yeah, so I have judged in like, four, uh, what, four or five meets this year. Four me- – judged in five meets but lifted in two. This is the least amount of meets I've done since 2007.
0: What's your record? Uh,
1: 14. I did 14.
0: 14. Um. Do you, have you found that uh, in the years that you do the most meets versus the years that you do the, the fewest meets, there's um, some sort of correlation with your performance that you you've know, seen?
1: You know, everybody told me, even even, even uh, Igor, my coach, you're lifting too much. You're lifting too much. So, um, you know, it's funny. I do better if I compete more. Yeah. You know how they say, you're doing it too much, you're burned out. I do better. I only did two meets this year and I've had two and I haven't been training this good this year either, but uh, no, I do better if I compete a lot, if I compete a lot. And it's funny too, cause I went to, the, I went to Germany. It was funny to watch everybody jumping out of their skin. Everybody's all nervous and stuff. And I've competed so much to me. It was just like, I was laughing. I was like, it's, you're going to go up there. You do a set of jerks for 10 minutes. You do a set of snatches. So it's the world's big deal. You'd, if you look at it from a, a plain fact point of view, you just go, you just lift.
0: Yeah, But it's, it's it's another training day kind of thing, right? training,
1: really, yeah. So it was, and I, you know, I, I was on a platform so much that it's just I don't even get nervous. I have fun up there.
0: I think it'd uh, be the travel that would affect you more than the actual competition,
1: right? What was nice about being a veteran? We were the last day, which was the fifth day or fourth day. I can't remember. Everybody, the first couple of days, we right, were a little jet lagged. By the time we got to the fourth day, I was back to normal. I felt pretty good.
0: Do you have a, a remedy for jet lag?
1: uh nah not really just try to get sleep and and uh <laughs> five hour energy drinks five hour energy
0: drinks drink <leave> yourself awake <laughs> that's a good tip um so uh th- this is a, a a good opportunity for me to to m- stay a bit topical and and maybe even stay a little bit quasi political cuz i think uh you're kind of one of the right guys to get a viewpoint on these things, but um, so there's been some chatter recently about the current policy regarding regulation kettlebell handle diameter. I don't know if you've, uh, you know, seen some of these ripples in the pond.
1: Well, I'm, I'm involved. I'm actually in Dropbox. I'm involved in it and everything. I'm, um, I'm
0: it. <laughs> well, some of the points brought up include whether or not the current standard of 35 millimeters uh, plus minus one millimeter uh, handle diameter should apply to both genders or if women should use a smaller diameter in addition to the overall dimension of the kettlebell?
1: Well, I'm the guy that brought up at the meeting we had in Chicago just two weeks ago. I brought up, I said, well, you know, maybe Valerie Fedorenko was on something when he had women's bells and men's bells, you know? Maybe he was. Uh, I know, uh, I'm just, you know, that's just an open, you know, open sort of rhetorical question. Maybe they should have a woman's bell. Um, I know in women's basketball, they have a woman's size basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other point, what I said was, and a couple of people said they, some some of the people were really upset that that the handles were a little thicker than what they're used to but i said this uh in all fairness though everybody had the same kettlebell when i used to bike race guys would complain about the training but it's raining for everybody yeah you know it, it you know it's so if you were john buckley with big hands it was a better bell for you or john lesko if you were a small woman I don't. In fact, I don't know how they lifted those darn things. I those are my lowest numbers i lifted in a long time, and I knew as soon as I started using them, I thought, you know what, I'm not, I'm going to have to back off because i this bell is going to be tough. You know, um, I like the bells, but they're they're a little thicker than what we're used to. They're a little a little bigger around. Um, the opening's a little bigger, slots down your arm a little further. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're good bells. I mean, they're nice bells. I think they're well balanced. Um, but they're just diffused. See, because. The, the first bells we got from uh, Valeri were the real thin handles. They were like 32. They They're almost like they were small. They're really easy to grip. But there are all kinds of them out there. But uh,
0: Do you, it, How much of a difference does it make if people end up chalking their bells anyways, though? I mean, that's going to add a few millimeters.
1: Well, the, the, thick, the thickness, they were, they, were pretty, they were pretty thick at the, in the base. They were, they were big around. But uh, um, I lifted in Russia. And I lifted in Germany and the Russian bells. They're pretty close to the Russian bells. I actually like Valery's bells, honestly. The Valerie ankle I like. I've his heard bells.
0: that a lot, actually, that people really like Valery's bells. One um, uh, one thing though, um, I've noticed that, and this is just me, you know, from you know a couple years of scouring the internet for kettlebell videos, much like you did. Was that it? Seems like in Europe, there's a fair bit of the kettlebells with the painted handles. Uh, yeah,
1: I see that. I think they just haven't stripped them. Uh, I, 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 I've seen that before, too. So are those going to be inherently larger, too, though? Do you think oh, I don't, the diameter? I, it, I don't think the paint makes that big a difference. and yeah. I don't think the chalk makes that big a difference. I mean, you have to put chalk on pretty thick to make a big difference.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, if, you're
1: put, if you're putting chalk on that thick, you're not chalking the ball right to begin with.
0: <laughs> where, where it's coming off like paint chips?
1: Yeah, like it clunks off, yeah.
0: Um. So in terms of so if we're going to look at differences in kettlebell size between men and women do you, i mean do you think that's just going to end up being more of a personal preference thing for the women like a comfort thing or do you or does it transcend it does it actually matter because if women well, are think- competing against women and men are competing against men is having two different size bells really matter
1: um i think for a woman it does um Personally, like and, like and it's like I said, you on, on at the nationals, we all had the same bell. So if uh if if lifter A had lower scores and lifter B should have the same more lower scores, now maybe Lifter B is is uh uh better with a bigger handle. Well that's just that's just the way that's kind of just the way it is, I guess. Yeah. But we all had the same bell, so it's not like yeah. one person had a different bell. Now they said that at the local meets. Um, they have a bring your own bell policy where mm-hmm. it has to be weighted and, and they handle measure, but you can bring your own bell if you want, which I, I'm a little iffy about that, but that's my own.
0: What's your reservation about, about that? I, well, so the, of course the, 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 the criteria for bringing your own bell would be that it would have to fall into that, you know, that 35 millimeter criteria, right? Right,
1: right, right. Uh, I don't, so, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it could be doctored. I don't know. Uh just Yep. It's just, yeah. And I'm not saying it would be. and I they would
0: verify hard. it there too, wouldn't they? Right, right, right.
1: Oh, I've had I've taken bells that I'm weighed and they were too light. I couldn't use them at
0: other <laughs> meets. So that uh, and that could mess things up too. I mean, if you're if you're planning on people bringing their own bells, and so you have a predicted number of bells that are going to be there, right. yeah. And then, so, but some people bring some underweight bells and they can't use them. That could really throw things for a loop. I think.
1: I think what really happened was, uh. Cyrus, um, who owns Vulcan, uh, or is a, an owner of part of Vulcan or owns it all. I'm not sure what the whole thing is. But anyways, um, Cyrus had these bells made and spent a long time doing it. are they're, they're nice bells. I mean, they really are. But I think the handles came in a little bit bigger than people thought that they, maybe they don't know what 35.5 30, uh, or 35 is, but its it's, you know. You don't know till you feel it. You know you could say a number, but you don't know till you feel the bell. And it's it's a little thicker handle. It's a little bigger, a little bigger opening. And so I think that caught everybody by surprise. They're a unique
0: uh, bell. Well, I mean, what's kind of the main differences between that and your traditional well, bell? I
1: thought that uh, you know, as as the as the handle comes down, it thickens up quite a bit towards the base.
0: Okay, it tapers a bit wider. It
1: tapers a bit wider, um, and the opening's a bit bit wider, so it sits lower on your arm here. Which that's what got me because I have my lump that's all numb. So, my bell voice <laughs> well, it was off. It was off my lump. That's, on the that's t- your
0: victory lump, Mike.
1: Yeah. Well, what it is, it's numb. So, it sits there and and it's kind of like almost like it's slotted there. Well, it was a little off of that. But, it, I mean, it didn't matter to me because I knew I was going to take third place anyways because of the other <laughs> two victors were better than me. So, I thought, why well, kill myself? So, I just had a good time. Yeah. And, and, I, and I checked, I, I looked later. I thought, okay, let's say I did my best numbers, I still would have been third place. What difference does it make? <laughs> so, you know, if you know, you know what you're going to do. I, I, know how to play the game more or
0: less. Hmm.
1: Um. I'm not talking too much,
0: am I? No, this is good. This is this is this is what the show needs. Is is because yeah. I can't do all the talking. People don't want to hear me talk. I don't have anything to say. Um,
1: I have. A ten- not, if I run on, just shut me up.
0: Do you have any opinion on uh, the inherent advantages or disadvantages to having longer or shorter leverages and how that might play into the whole bell size situation? I, I've always
1: thought longer, longer arm guys were better at snatches because of leverage. Jerks are more like jerks are legs and hips. So um, I think longer arms guys are tougher, uh, have a tougher time with jerks. Um, you get really long armed people. I don't know if you, do you know a lot of the people on the scene in North America or not?
0: Yeah. Uh, well, I would say,
1: you know, Doug, Doug Siemens out of North Carolina.
0: Uh, I've heard of him, but I, I Doug. Yeah, I think I've seen him. I think I saw him compete in San Francisco, but I, I don't remember a whole lot, but I know that he, uh, he looked like he has a pretty solid jerk. Yeah, he's real long-armed, so like when he yeah, jerks, he's a, he's a tall guy, yeah,
1: way up in the air. It's like he's got to move him way up there, so it's like it just it's like wow, he's got to move him way up. There. But uh, but he does long cycle, so I don't know how he doesn't snatches. But I always mm-hmm. felt that snatches were better with longer-armed people because of the lever, I don't know, something about the leverage of it,
0: yeah. Well, and I mean, when you look at uh, Senya, I mean, she's very long and limber, right? I mean, she's not necessarily very tall, but her appendages, well, she's tall. She's
1: are, tall. I, Okay. So she's five about 5'10. Five,
0: That's tall <laughs> for a girl I guess. <laughs> yeah, for, yeah, for a girl. I, I'm 5'8, so everyone's yeah. taller than I am. Um I and uh and I mean for me being a shorter guy and I, and I don't have long appendages by any means but uh I think that snatch is only my strongest lift because I'm just not that good at jerks. So I I there's probably something going on there more than just leverages but yeah, I would I would agree that uh, longer appendages cater more to like a better snatch, for and,
1: sure. And, and uh, jerks are strength, mm-hmm. strength hips and leg strength. Snatch is cardio. It's a lot of cardio. Good, good wind and Good, good technique. Good grip. Yeah. What's help, What's helped me? Uh, I got a little uh, trivia. I not not. I wouldn't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I've never ever dropped a kettlebell. Except for when I've practiced juggling, and I've practiced juggling, mm-hmm. I've dropped. Because everybody does that. But I've never dropped a kettlebell in training or at a meet ever, not one time. Isn't that crazy? Not, I've never dropped.
0: Not, 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 not so crazy because I can definitely believe it. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't seen a whole lot of people drop their kettlebell in competition. And I mean, what, what's our what's our criteria here for dropping? Do we mean like launching so, out of the hands or or? Sorry.
1: Fall, yeah, drops it slips out of your hand yeah i've never had one slip out of my hand yet i hate saying that i, I tell people that and i go man i just jinxed it but i've never i never lost a kettlebell yet even in training i
0: don't i I think I, all the years up till now ha- speak for themselves i don't think you're gonna run into that problem i think you'll be okay but that um does lead me to uh i mean this is a was a little interesting for me because i was watching some of the footage from hamburg uh last year and I i mean i won't uh, I don't know any names, anyways. I can't say I can't name names, but um, I won't name teams. But there was one team in particular where they had two or three guys on the same platform um, finishing off their session just completely just dropping their bells uh, almost carelessly uh, during um, I, it was probably a long cycle set. Oh, you mean on uh, the platform? yeah well, at the end of their set, they didn't make the full ten, but uh they were like completely gassed, and they just kind of they i feel i personally feel like they could have controlled them down, but it was almost like they just didn't care and just let them fall what's kind of the what's the decorum as far as that kind of thing goes in in international comp- or at least like in europe because i I feel like they they would you know that would be a big deal
1: in chicago they came, it was my turn to talk. The first thing I mentioned was about what we need to change is control the bell at the end of a set. Too many guys are dropping the bells and smashing them. we had two platforms the last two meets get smashed and broken guys just dropping them. Um, not throwing them really. And they were really, really, really tired. And I get that cause I lift, but they just go bam and down and smash the bell. They got to control them down better. Um, and that's the first thing I brought up. And And there's, um, and it used to be that if, but if you just, after you got done with like, say a snatch or a jerk, you just let the bells just fly, you were disqualified. And somehow that rule got sort of pushed to the back or they don't enforce it anymore. So I brought, I rebrought it back up and it's, you know, a, a, uh, a judge can disqualify a competitor if they just, uh, you know, wantonly smash the bells down. I mean, they, uh, and, and we also mentioned that <clears throat> during the rules meeting, that's got to be brought up so that they don't say that they've never heard that rule before but they need to hear it at the beginning so they know that uh we're not picking on them specifically that you know uh i mean you know there's dropping them um, like you're tired you know there's a little bit of uh you know subjectivity there because you know what's dropping hard what's too hard
0: mm-hmm. like you say you saw one, I think if you put a hole through the platform that's too hard <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, you know, and you said the one country seemed like everybody there just kind of let them fly. So I got to be a little bit of a, uh, a characteristic of that training country style or whatever, and that's not good.
0: No, maybe you there's a lot s- of Crossfits out there. I don't know.
1: Yeah, yeah, I don't know.
0: <laughs> um, and it's it's not like this is uh, completely alien to uh, to um, weightlifting sports because because I mean you, you look at. Uh, World's Strongest Man or, or, or any other kind of – uh, I, it will depend on the Federation, but powerlifting federations and stuff like that too. But like last – I think it was last year, possibly the year before, Eddie Hall, one of the strongest son of a guns you'll ever see, and is particularly in the deadlift, he was going for a world record deadlift. And he picked it up off the ground, solid, stood up with it. But I think his strap broke or something, and it slipped from his hands, and they and they didn't count it. Even though he was standing there with it for for several seconds, it slipped out of his hand because he didn't because he didn't go down with it, hands oh, so hands on the bar. You have to have your hands on the bar and go down with it for it to actually okay. count. All
1: that, right? Okay, I see that then. So, now, Olymp- yeah, Olympic thing they're rubber they're, they're rubber coated bells. So when they get up, they actually they do just throw them down. Oh, that's that's part of that sport. Mm-hmm. You can drop them in that sport um, in Olympic lifting, but yeah. uh, but dead. I never thought about it. they had deadlifting. If it slipped, he got the lift, but it slipped, so he therefore yeah they send it. took
0: it they took it away from him. But uh, you know he came back this year and got it, so you know <laughs> he made up for it. Yeah. So there is that, Mike. I mean, you have a unique perspective on uh, lifting kettlebells, being that you've had you know a a decent amount of success lifting kettlebells competitively in your what we'll refer to as your golden years.
1: Uh
0: Um, So what do you think, what does it take to have longevity in the sport of kettlebells? Is it inherently, is it a sport that lends itself to longevity or do you think there's, you know, there's gotta be some sort of recipe?
1: Well, I think that there is, I didn't start till I was 50, but um, most of like, say your Russian champions, they start when they're, you know, kids or teenagers. So by the time they're in their forties, they're kind of already retired. Um, so I think it's just the length of time they've done it, but they, but they can stay in it. It's one of those sports where you can say like karate, you can stay it your whole life and, and you're going to drop off, which is kind of what earlier in the interview I started to say was you, you asked me a question earlier about, you know, how my training has been since when I started versus now. And I'm maintaining, I'm having a tough time getting bigger numbers, but I got to remember I was 50 then I'm going to be 60 now. And so I have to guess, uh, figure in, you know, there's a little bit of age, age factor in there. I don't know what that is or how you would even uh, determine that or figure that. But I know it's, um, I'm, I'm in better shape now. I, I, my technique is way better. So I am getting better. Okay, let me put the the, the, the numbers I get now that I got five years ago or four, four years ago, I'm about four years ago, I got my best number three to four years ago. I'm getting the same numbers, but I haven't really increased much, mm-hmm. but I feel better at the end of those numbers, if that makes any sense. Uh,
0: no, that doesn't make that, sense.
1: Are you- I used to, have to struggle to get those numbers. Now I can get those numbers. Um, I noticed my cardio has dropped off and I talked to a doctor about that. He said, dude, you're almost 60 years old. Just naturally, your, your ability to, to transfer oxygen just goes down as you get older. Mm-hmm. If
0: that was the case, sixty year old guys would be winning all your races. And they just they don't. You would keep I mean? it getting better, but we have – yeah, the, the law of diminishing returns, right? Exactly right. So
1: um I'm as good as I was. I don't know if I'm gonna get a lot better. And I see these young guys coming up that that uh you know, I, I joke about, you know, not to name drop because they were all beginners, like I've beaten Charlie Fortinelli. I've beaten John Lesko. I've be- i beaten all those guys. But they were just starting out and I was already kind of good. They've all passed me up now, but they're young guys. But um, you know, in fact, the, the one one meet I I beat out I outsnatched Charlie and out jerked John. Now they both can like you know, they they would bury me because they're both really good. They're master sports lifters. But they were but they're young guys yet. And my young guy days are over.
0: But uh none of them can uh can claim the title of uh, 2015 best overall male in the biathlon at nationals. Can they?
1: Yeah. That, yeah, and I was lifter of the year 13 and 14. But, uh, the thing, the thing of it is, is, um, one of my b- best compliments was, f- was from, uh, Igor Morozov when he said that he, and I thought he was joking around, but he said, no, I'm serious. He goes, I hope I'm as good a lifter as you when I'm your age. I said, Oh yeah. You know, I laughed. I said, yeah. And he goes, no, I'm serious. He goes, cause you're a good lifter for your age. So, you know, but there's three guys,
0: not just for the demographic, not just for a North American lifter, but for your age.
1: Yeah. I I missed going to podium in Germany by two lifts. I would have been third. Some of those Russian guys are pretty tough though, but they've done it their whole life. But I would say that, uh, what's helped me a lot. I started at 50, but see, I, uh, probably the one of the best sports you can get into for kettlebell lifting is bike racing Mm. because bike races, I had our bike racing team come in and do some kettlebells. And I was amazed that how they didn't have the technique, but how they had leg strength and they had they're they're used to endurance and they're used to performing under discomfort. Yes, that's the thing that people have trouble with. They they can't most people soon they get disc, they get disc, discomfort. They, they their performance drops. Bike racers and triathletes. They,
0: they know have, how to buffer that.
1: Right, they buffer that, right? And you, you learned. So I did triathlons for ten years, and I did uh, bike racing for years. And these guys did. I mean, they had strong legs and they good cardio, and they just thought, "Wow, this is a great workout." And I'm I'm like, "Wow, these guys are actually pretty good at this stuff." And if you look a lot of, you you look a lot of your good triathletes, or excuse me, a lot of your good kettlebell lifters, they're ex bike racers or triathletes because they had that. They learned to work while while under duress while while under discomfort Mm -hmm. if you can't handle discomfort then you're not going to do well in kettlebell and it no longer becomes discomfort it becomes part of what you do to sit there and wish that someday i want to get on the platform and i'm not going to be tired i'm gonna feel great it ain't gonna happen so you already know you already know you're gonna feel like crap at the end of it (laughs) you know what
0: i mean yeah yeah it's uh and some i I think it's for some people it 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 can potentially come easy but for a lot of others, it's, it's a grind. That's, right. that's, that's a grind. And you got to just hang in there and keep going. Um, and, then, and then I think the karate, the
1: martial arts background gave me the sort of the mental strength, you know, karate teaches you a lot of mental strength.
0: And, th- and so that's I, a topic that's not really touched on a whole lot. And, uh, even in uh youth development, I was listening to, um, an interview of this, uh, this guy who's done some work with uh, youth development in the States and, and uh, talking about um, going to these kind of uh, uh, like regional and national uh, uh, meetings where they're talking about developing their programs. And, and uh, one of the, the common themes is that, yeah, mental training is important, but we don't have time for that.
1: Oh, geez. It's the
0: main part. <laughs> it's, it's the, yeah, well, can you expand on that, Mike? Well, what it
1: is is, is uh, uh, consistency. The first thing you gotta teach any person that's gonna be uh, athletic is they have to be consistent. Mm-hmm. So if if you're not gonna be, if you're, unless you have a lot of natural ability, but the natural ability only takes you so far. But you, then you, when you get up to the top of the heap of the champions, well, they all have natural ability. Now it's the person with natural ability that's gonna go that next level. So you, you gotta teach persistence and and uh, stick to itiveness. I don't know what you would call it. You know, you Work gotta. Yeah. Work ethic. Brit. And you got to know your body. You got to be able to rest when it's time to rest. Now, you, you know, then you get people that go the other way and you know, they got shin splints and they're injured and there's, Oh, I still got to train. I got to train. And then they're in, and they keep injuring themselves. There's
0: a little so, lack of humility there. I think yeah, a training session. To training session. Yeah.
1: But, uh, that, that's really important. And so uh, persistence is the main thing, which is, you know, it's funny. It's one of the first things that Valery Fedorenko told me, you have to be persistent and, uh, you know, it's like anything. You gotta, um, gotta, gotta practice. Got to train for it. I did ball. I did ballroom dancing, but I didn't practice. So I was doing
0: <laughs> you were, um, you, you, you uh, kept up writing a few notes on Facebook back in 2011. I, I, I don't think you do that anymore so much. Just the random uh, status updates. But um, I mean, there was this one note where you brought up uh, this uh, time that you weren't feeling it. And you were like, oh, what the heck? I'll just start training anyway. And you had a really good session. Right, so yeah. my 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 question is, what's the importance of starting a workout even if you're not feeling a hundred percent?
1: Those are usually the best workouts. <laughs> it's, it, you know, sometimes it's like uh I would say, you know, if you're not feeling it, maybe back off and and uh depending on what kind of program you're on. But like there's been days I would go in there and say, you know what? Um, even though I'm 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 a programmed lifter, there's days I'll do stuff that hopefully Morozov's not watching this. I'll do stuff that he doesn't even give me. I'll go in there and then I'll take a 16 and I'll just do a, t- a, tw- a you know, 15, 20 minute set snatches with the 16. And just have fun. Turn on music, roll turn on Ramstein, and just, just
0: <laughs> keep up right. with the drums.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, you know stuff like that. But always doing something or run or go run, go for a run. You know something like that, but uh, you can't. You know, people that do this sport pretty much are, uh, if you stay in it very long, you're going to be a, a a person of conviction because you're not going to. It's not a sport that you can do part way, or you're not going to do very well at it. It's like boxing. I mean, how many boxers you see have records of like three and forty nine? After, if you've, if you've lost 49 times, won three times, why you keep going to get your head beat in? You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> you know, and from the sports perspective. You know, it's funny, and I've said this, when I was in Russia training with the uh, Russian team, the a couple of the guys, one thing I did notice, I, ne- I, I never got the feeling that they did this for exercise. They didn't do this to stay in shape. They did this for the sport. They did it to get better numbers. And see, at the time, in 2009, there was still a little bit of RKC stuff going on you know, it's good exercise. And I, I kept pushing the idea of the sport, you know? So, uh, I don't know if I'm making any sense, but I never got the feeling that any of the Russian guys did this to, to, to say, okay, this is making me a better shape. They're doing it to get a better number. They want to be a better get They want to a be better at GS. Um, they wanted to put up the numbers. They wanted to, they wanted to do the lifts better. So they wanted to do snatches better, jerks better and long cycle better. They didn't want to, you know, they didn't want to do it just because it, you know, put them in shape better, gave them better cardio or whatever. And I never felt they did it for exercise. They did it for the sport. And that, that makes sense. I don't know if that made sense.
0: So, so you're saying that, that the Russians don't lift kettlebells to look good naked. They do it for the reps. They do. They do it for, yeah, they do it for the sport. Um, do, do you think that, uh, now obviously we can't speak for every single Russian. I'm sure that, you know, they have different reasons for doing it. But do you think a lot of those guys, maybe they, they do that, and they and they try to be the best at those lifts so that they have something to fall back on at when they're done, you know, coaching others or, or or whatnot.
1: Well, I think what what I think what uh, what's big now. In fact, I said it in two thousand nine when I was there. At the time, Valerie Fedorenko was the only one in the United States doing. In fact, um, Sergey Rudnev wasn't he wasn't really even over here yet. He they just started right, right when I got back. They wanted me to go, and I and I told those guys then through my wife because she had to translate you guys are missing out on a big opportunity there. There's a bunch of Americans who would like to have great Russian lifters coming over here and, and coaching and Valery's making all the money. And it was like, I don't know if they said something, but right after I'd said that we came back, all of a sudden you got all these Russian coaches coming over here and making money through the Americans. so you get all these great lifters. Cause really there's not much, you know, once you reach a certain point point, you're no longer a champion, what do you do? You know? Mm-hmm. So if you love the sport. And so you got a lot of, you got a lot of your, a lot of your uh, champions that are, getting a little older now and they're coming over here and being coaches and running programs and things like that, which is good because we need it.
0: That was one of my first thoughts when I saw these guys, you know, you've got Sergey, like you said, and you've got Dennis Vasilev and, um, and all those other guys, you know, taking advantage of this opportunity where you've got all these Americans and Canadians who, you know, want to, want to get into it, want a piece of that, uh, that gear pie. And, uh, yeah, I mean, why wouldn't you? Right. Yeah.
1: So, You know, and other than that, I don't know what, uh, you know, other than that, they, they just do it. It's like gymnasts, like, I, like these, these, uh, gymnasts, they get through college. You know, if you make it in college after that, what do you have? You know, there's not much after that, you know, or you build a gym, you know, you build a gym or something like that. I don't know what you would do. I do. I don't even coach anybody. I just do it for me. Most, most kettle lifters are trainers and they have a gym and they train people. But, uh, that would make me crazy I wouldn't have, I, I, I'm like I could think of myself much as someone else
0: do you think that I, might be something you might do you know five ten years down the line
1: yeah you know I teach karate yeah and I've done that forever but I don't know that I I'd rather work out with somebody as opposed to you know maybe a workout buddy like you and I would work out together mm-hmm. and I'd give you pointers and you'd give me pointers as opposed to being a trainer or coach. You know, that sits there and just creates a program for you and stuff, because I, I don't know that I'm really that good at that, even though I'm certified in like all the organizations. I went to all the seminars and I got certificates from, you know, Steve Cotter, Ken Blackburn, Valerie, everybody. But, you know, I can I can teach a lift. But you know, and I'm kind of self-centered. I'm kind of into myself, really. I just i more care about how I do now
0: than yeah. people do. Hey, I don't I don't blame you. I don't blame you at all. Sometimes, uh, I mean, I coach people, but yeah, sometimes I have those days where it's like, I just want to train myself, like you know. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, it's uh, different strokes, different folks, and all that jazz. Hey, you,
1: you compete, correct? I do. You. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. and
0: uh, and I'll be heading to Dublin as well. So I'll, okay. I'll potentially see you there. Great,
1: Yeah. Now you do biathlon.
0: Um, I will be doing biathlon. I traditionally do, um, even though it's a non non traditional lift for men. I traditionally do just snatch only, okay. for the reasons mentioned before, because I'm not that great at jerk. Now, now, who
1: do you, are you self coached? Do you have a coach or uh,
0: primarily up until um, I guess about a year ago, self coached, and then wow. I mean I took. Even though this doesn't really apply in the context that we speak of uh, uh, kettlebells, um, I mean, I have a Gatsu uh, certification, but then I kind of graduated beyond that. I got into the sports stuff, and I've been taking some training from the WKC. So I'm in the I'm in the middle of uh, doing a certification with them, um, and the rest is I, yeah, the rest is just school of YouTube. Do you want
1: to hear another trivia? I, I, I was the overall lifter of the first Canadian kettlebell meet ever held in Canada in Toronto.
0: Oh, you were, you were there.
1: Yeah. Over there in, uh, it's a Gatsu is over over. Yeah, uh, yeah. I was there too. Yeah. It was, uh, it was the one, it was, um, uh, Eric St. And, uh, Sean Mosen was there.
0: And this and, is, uh, whoops. I guess they held that at now. Were they holding it at, at the Toronto kettlebell club, like proper, kind of place or it was like a martial arts kind of place wasn't it
1: they opened up the garage doors and stuff big garage doors it was 2009 i think oh
0: oh that's something different then because i went to uh the 2012 one that they held
1: this is way before that this is the they said this was the first kettlebell meat that they know was ever held in
0: canada oh first kettlebell meat not okay see I, I i was thinking championship. You know, it's
1: just a meat, which doesn't really
0: kind of make sense since there's not really, at the time, there wasn't really any (laughs) meets whatsoever.
1: Sean Mosin was there and, uh, and, you know, Sean, right? Yeah. Yeah, Sean and, uh, Eric Sainaj, um, and, uh, Boris, remember, you know, Boris Terzik? Uh,
0: yes, yes, yes. The younger, younger guy. Yeah.
1: This is way, this is way back, you know, um, uh, C- Christina Donnell. Donnell's. Yep. She was there. Christina was there and that was back in just 2009. And anyways, I was overall lifter and uh, I always tell people I was overall lifter. The first meet I ever held in Canada.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Idiot. That is a neat tidbit. Is that, um, it, that's gotta be on a Wikipedia page somewhere.
1: Yeah. Are you, are you, uh, from Toronto
0: yourself? I'm not, I'm actually just, uh, from a little bit South of Toronto. I'm from uh, originally from London, Ontario
1: okay, oh yeah London. well, oh, you're not very far from Tweedle then I can be I can be in London four about four hours from where I live
0: um but I'm in nanaimo now, nanaimo BC on the island
1: yeah yeah I saw that way. Well, it was funny when you said eight thirty and then I dawned on me well, he had to get up at four o'clock in the morning to talk to me I, I just totally I don't know I thought am so anyways, that's awesome but
0: yeah, that's great yeah it's it seems like no one no one other than the ice chamber lifts on uh in my time zone so yeah it's always kind of funny trying to coordinate these calls but you know that's how it goes